guys doing? Good. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm Christina, for those of you I haven't met before. Um, and it takes a whole lot of courage for me to get up here. I'm kind of a wimp, so I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. Hey, we are um, in our fifth week in the series, and this week we're talking about intentional relationships. For those of you that have kind of been with us, you know that um, our first week we had a great intro. Our second week, Ryan dove into this idea of having a contagious faith. It was awesome. And then the next week, Steve talked with us about life-giving practices, specific things we can do to be growing in our faith, um, times of solitude and times in the Word. And then Last week, Ryan talked specifically about um, meaningful ministry and living on purpose. And we all went home with a towel. You guys did this, hopefully, as a reminder of Jesus washing those disciples' feet. Um, And this week, we're diving into this idea of having relationships that are really intentional and with purpose. So the first thing we're going to do, we're going to pull out your bulletin. If you got one when you came in, I'm going to steal this one off the ground. We're going to do a little self-assessment just between you, yourself, and yourself. Um, about kind of how you're doing with these intentional relationships. And I, this is not meant to be like heavy and condemning or anything. It's supposed to be kind of light and silly. So did anyone notice the song that was playing during our meet and greet? Other than our awesome sound and tech people. I'm such a dork. Um, okay, I played the song, I'm an Island, I'm a Rock, I'm an Island by Simon and Garfunkel. Do you guys know this song, anyone? Yeah. Dude, love Simon and Garfunkel. Grew up and it was like something that just happened in my house that we played this. And so I thought that was a given and then um, mentioned it to my husband. I'm like, yeah, we're going to play the Simon and Garfunkel song. He's like, what, what, who? I'm like, well, you know who they are. And he had never heard the song. Anyways, the song is about someone that's like given up on relationships because when you're by yourself, you never get hurt and a rock never cries. And then, you know, you're with me. Anyway, so number one on the assessment here, like on one extreme, as you're looking at how you're doing on intentional relationships, number one is the island. Okay, this is the person doesn't need other people. You don't really need other people. It's a little bit too much trouble for what it's worth, and you just prefer to kind of do life on your own. And then number 10 on the far side over here is, um, is the intentional relationship genius. Like you have arrived at perfection when it comes to your intentional relationship. So anyways, I want you to kind of think about how, where you lie on the self-assessment, um, maybe in terms of your marriage, family, friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your classmates. Um, Because I think for most of us, we can kind of get a number in our head. Everyone kind of have numbers of where they are in their categories. Okay, awesome, perfect. So as I was um, starting to prep for today, um, I'm praying about, like, God, what do I I have to say about this? Um, I saw this great little quote pop up on my Facebook feed from my uncle who is a pastor um, in Wyoming. And I love this quote from Max Lucado. It's going to be up here for you guys. But it says this, when you are in the final days of your life, what will you want? Will you hug that college degree in a walnut frame? So close. Will you ask to be carried to the garage so you can sit in your car? Will you find comfort in rereading your financial statement? Of course not. What will matter then will be people. If relationships will matter most then, shouldn't they matter the most now? Right? And I think we all agree with that. We all nod our heads with that. We all desire to have relationships in our life that are deep and that are life-giving. And all of us want to be serving and loving other people in our relationships. But I I don't think we always do it. We're not always intentional with those relationships. And so the first thing we're going to dive into is why. Why don't we? So there's there's three points in your um, bulletin if you want to take little notes. You sure don't have to, but if you want to, you can. And the first one is is that we're, we're busy. Life is busy. Anyone here busy? 
yeah, life is full and life is crazy and there's a lot going on all the time. Some of us are college students and just getting to our classes and our internships and working our jobs and doing our homework and hanging out with our people. Like there's just so much going on. Um, And some of us um, have careers that are very high power and very focused and we've got teams to manage and we've got work that has to get done and we've got deadlines and we're traveling. We've got a lot going on. And then some of us have families and some of us have kids and then you never have a moment to yourself again. No. Um, But really, like, it's just, there's a lot going on. So if you're managing a few of these things, life is full and life is busy. We have our activities and we have our hobbies. Um, In the day-to-day life, there's a lot going on that we're just trying to manage. So I think that's kind of the first of it, is that life is really busy. And I also think social media has made it for us, where we can feel connected without being connected. Anyone else? Yes, like I find that if I'm scrolling through Instagram and like this friend from high school has a baby, I can like double click that puppy and feel like I'm sending her love and yay, she had a baby, congrats. You know, it's, it's kind of like sending a present, but it's actually not at all like that. But I think that sometimes we um, feel like we're more connected than we are because of that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is relationships are hard. Relationships are hard um, because we're in them and we're kind of a mess of pride and insecurity and pain and brokenness. And we just bring a whole lot of mess to the table. You know, even this week, oh, guys, I totally hurt someone's feelings. It was unintentional. It was a slip of the tongue. I was clueless about it until she brought it to my attention. I felt so bad. I caused a rift. And it made me, I apologize, but it did damage. And that was on accident. And you guys know we can do things on purpose, right? Oh, yes, we can. Relationships are really hard. And so sometimes I think we back away or we stay just kind of shallow so that we don't have to go to the depth and deal with the hard stuff. Um, and then the third reason is, I think some of us just like to say, well, it's just, it's just not really in my personality type. It's just not really who I am. Um, anyone in the room, an introvert? Any introverts in the room? Oh, thank you. Last service, the introverts like quietly raised their hands. And then when I asked, watch this. Any extroverts in the room? Yeah, that, that's what happened last service. It was like, woo! <laughs> so here's what I think. I think that um, we both kind of come at this relationship business the wrong way. Because I think for the introvert, sometimes the thought is, um, I'm not really a, a people person. Small talk makes me want to, like, go run away. I just want nothing to do with it. Relationships are hard, and it drains my energy, and it's, it's really exhausting. Um, and then the extroverts in the room are like, woo! Right, we already heard that. But we, I'm an extrovert. We're kind of party people. You know what I'm saying? And so we don't really want to go that deep because it's so much more fun to just have, like, lots of friends. And when conflict arises, instead of, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to engage and I'm going to be loyal to you, we're like, nah, next party, I'm out. <laughs> I can say that because that's kind of how I am, unfortunately. But you know what? We can't use that as, a, that as an excuse. That doesn't work. Um, my older sister is as much introverted as I am extroverted. Um, and friends, she is the best relationship person I know. She is intentional and she is loyal. And when she does it, she does it with purpose. She's got friends from every season of her life, and she's just so good at it. Um, So our our personality types, they have absolutely nothing to do with our ability to be in intentional relationships. So you can't use that as an excuse. Um, Okay, so, so far, the three things. Life's busy, life is hard, and we don't really think we're wired for it. So I've just successfully talked all of us out of being in any intentional relationships, right? (laughs) No, we have to to consider this something important. Why, Why bother then? With all that's stacked against us, why bother? I want to dive into this a little bit. The first reason I think we need to get off our island, that I think we need to choose to be intentional, is that we have an intentional and relational God. He's a very relational God. He didn't create us on accident. He didn't just sneeze and there we were. He's a God with purpose and he's very relational. I think all the way back to Adam and Eve, 
Um, and, and in Genesis 3, if you guys remember this, um, they've eaten the forbidden fruit. They're hiding from God because they've realized they're unclothed. Um, and it says, as God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, he called to them, Adam, Eve, where are you guys? I don't know if that's what his voice sounds like, but, but he calls to them. What that verse says to me is that this is something he did. As God was walking in the cool of the day, he called to them. Like, this is his daily thing. Adam, Eve. Like, he, he walked with them. He was with them. He was their father, and they were his, his children. There's this unity that we see. Um, and then I think of Enoch. Does anyone know who Enoch is? Anyone in the room? Yes! Oh, you guys are awesome! Okay, a few of us. I um, have to be honest, I did not know who Enoch was until my missional community did this awesome Bible study in the fall, and we looked at lots of different people in the Bible. But there's something about him that's so specific to me. He shows up in Genesis chapter 5. And in Genesis chapter 5, we're reading the lineage from Adam to Noah. Okay, very interesting stuff. All sorts of people and names and how long they lived and who was the son of who. I'm telling you, if you haven't studied this, just race home right now. Um, but something different arises with Enoch. I want to read this to you guys because I think it is so cool. This is different than everyone else. Okay, Genesis 5.21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Very interesting. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Every other person we hear of in this line, it says, and then he died. And then he died. Enoch walked faithfully with God. It says it twice. And then he was no more because God took him home. He just kept right on walking to heaven. I mean, that's our relational God. He just walked right with God. I just love that. And then the next story I think of, of, of our relational guard is Hagar. Does anyone know who Hagar was? I think Abraham and Sarah, that was with their later names after God changed them. And, and God had promised Abraham, you will have many descendants and you'll have a son, right? And Sarah doesn't get pregnant. She doesn't get pregnant. She doesn't get pregnant. So she decides to take matters into her own hands. So she says to Abraham, go ahead and take my servant, Hagar. Let's have a baby through her and it will kind of count as mine. Um, so Hagar gets pregnant. And then her and Sarah have quite a rift in their relationship, and Hagar decides to run. I think of this woman. She's a slave. She's pregnant, has no choice of her own, and now her mistress is treating her terribly, and so she runs. And as she's in the wilderness, God sends an angel and says, where are you going? What's going on? And they have this beautiful interaction, and, and the angel speaks prophecy over her and tells her what her descendants will be many. And then I absolutely love what she says in response it says in verse 13, this is Genesis 16, verse 13, and then she, Hagar, gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. You are the God that sees me. In my desperation and in my pain and in my muck, you are the God who sees me. That's our relational God. And then I think of Moses. The awesome story of Moses and all that God did with him, speaking to him through a burning bush and leading the people of Israel. Oh, man, it's such a cool story. Um, but this ends when Moses dies in Deuteronomy chapter 34. And I don't know if you've ever read this, but God takes Moses up on, uh, up on a mountain, and they're looking out, and he and God are having this sweet moment, and then it talks about him dying. And do you know who buried Moses? God himself. That's what it tells us in Genesis. And God himself buried Moses. And the people never knew where the grave was or where his bones were. What a tender heavenly father. 
taking someone he loved so, taking a servant who had served so faithfully, and personally burying his son. Friends, we have a very relational God. From walking with Adam and Eve in, in the garden and speaking to them, speaking through angels, speaking through the judges, speaking through the prophets, he even spoke through a donkey once to get some attention. I mean, this is our God. And then when all of that didn't work to win back his people, he sent his own son. I can think of nothing more relational than sending your own son to get your people back and to save them. That's what our God did. And Jesus' ministry is completely relational. Healing people, hugging people, touching people, speaking truth over people. That's what he did. Friends, we have a very relational God. Secondly, the reason why we need to engage in the relationships in our lives is that we were created in his image. We were created in his image. It's not an accident. He made us to be like him. Um, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, I'm just going to read 27. It says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Catch this. Male and female, he created them. People, there is no gender that is not good at relationships. Let me say it right now. Because that's what it says here. Male and female, he created them. So God is relational. We are his relational people. And third, Another reason why we really need to engage is because God is using relationships to do his work in us. He's using it to do a deep work and to refine us. I believe that oftentimes God is using specific people, specific relationships to do a specific thing for us, to teach us, to grow us, to help us serve, to teach us what patience is. Can I get an amen, parents in the room? That's what he's doing. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. Friends, I think that we tend to want to, like, run away when conflict sets in. Or maybe that's just me. Things get a little rough. Things get a little ugly. And we just want to bounce. We want to move on. We want to back away slow. We want to run away. We want to get cold. We want to abandon the relationship or ship. Um, But God, we can't do that. God is trying to refine us. He's using those hard, ugly things to do his work in us. Not only that, but friends, relationships are our lifeline. Relationships in the body of Christ are our lifeline. If you have your Bible, open up with me to Mark chapter 2. I just love this story. This is the story of the paralyzed man. You guys may have heard this before. You may know it super well, but I love this story. In Mark chapter 2, so picture this. Jesus is in a house and he's, he's teaching, and he's healing, and people are coming from all over because they've heard about him, and they just want to get in the presence of him. And it says in Mark chapter 2, verse 3, So some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat that the man was lying on. Such a fun story. I'm sure that this was my favorite when I was in Sunday school. You can, like, see the people, and then all of a sudden the roof is falling in, and, ah, it's an earthquake. No, it's a paralyzed man. And down he comes. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. One more time. When Jesus saw their faith, was it the faith of the paralyzed man? No. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith was it? The friend's. When Jesus saw the faith of the friends that brought their broken friend to Jesus, he healed them and said, your sins are forgiven. Verse 11, I tell you, this is what Jesus said, get up and take your mat and go on home. He got up and took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. 
Friends, our relationships are our lifeline. Life is hard, and they are a gift from God, his tangible hands taking care of us. Because life is just too hard to do it on our own. Too hard. We need each other. We need support. We need accountability. We need unity. We need people in our lives that show up in the middle of the night in emergency. The people that come to the hospital in crisis. People that bring us food when things are falling apart. The people that throw out a hand when we're drowning. That come around us and intercede for us when we're broken. Even the people that slap us a little bit when we need a little sense knocked into us, right? Relationships are God's tangible ways of loving us. And last, I believe that we need to take relationships really seriously because it's God's way of reaching back his people. God loves people, and we are his plan to get his people back. John 13, 34 through 35 says this. This will come up on the screen. I, a new command I give to you. This is Jesus speaking. A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, is this an option? Is this a suggestion? No. Jesus says, a new command I give to you. This is a command. This is not an option for us. Um, And it hits me kind of personally when I read the part that says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples because of the way you love each other. When we think of Christian community um, and the reputation we have, when people think of people that love Jesus, is love what comes in their minds? No, I don't think it is. I think words like judgment and hatred and condemnation pop up in their heads. And I, I, that's got to break the heart of God. That's absolutely the opposite of what Jesus said, right? And it's our job to change that. Love. They will know that you love Jesus because you love one another. I want to look just a little specifically of what that love looks like. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and if you've ever been to a wedding of people that love Jesus. They might have read these passages. I love these passages on love. But for me, this takes love from being like a Valentine's Day, like fuzzy, like I love you, roses, and you know, to like real, this is what I really think Jesus meant when he said to love one another. 1 Corinthians 13. And if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I give the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. If you know these words, you can say them. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres, because love never fails. Now catch this. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. 
but the greatest of these is love. As believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe this. All will pass away. Our jobs, <laughs> all that fills us and occupies us, but what remains? People. People are eternal. And God created us that way. Look around at the eternal, right here. The faces of people that will last forever. We live in a world that is broken, full of hurting people, and I believe that God wants to use us to be about his work of reconciliation and love. I'm not saying we have all the answers. I'm not saying we have our act together and no one else does. But we have a deep purpose, and we are deeply loved, and that transforming love does not end with us. We are offering lifelines to those who are sinking and drowning, friends. We have been blessed to bless other people. We're called and commanded to love. All right, so let's talk about what, are these, what does this look like? What does this look like? If we have a God who's relational, if we're relational, if he's using this to refine us, to reach lost people, let's talk about what this looks like a little bit. Some of us know this well. We grew up in homes that did this well. Um, and some of us don't. Quite honestly, maybe we grew up in places that were kind of broken and we just haven't really had a chance to see this. So I want to get some examples for us of really what it looks like to do relationships well. Um, So I think let's look at Jesus. He did things pretty well, I think, for the most part. Um, But let's look at how he spent his time and the people he spent his time with. So when I think of Jesus' ministry and who he spent most of his time with, he spent most of his time with his 12 disciples, his ministry years at least, right? The 12 that he called, that came and followed him, and it... What a rabbi would do is bring his his students along, and then the students would follow the rabbi. And the saying is that they would be so close to him that they would get dirty in the dust that kicked off his feet, right? You're imagining his dust, his sandals, and they didn't have cement paved roads, so the dust would fly up, and that's how close the people were to him. His 12 were that close to him. Um, And they spent those years teaching and healing and being about the Father's work. And then within that three, that 12, Jesus had three. Three that were a little bit closer to him, Peter, James, and John. And they got to do some things that just they got to do with Jesus. Um, And they got to experience some things with him. And then Jesus had his one. So he had his 12, his three, and his one. And his one was his heavenly father. And we see that throughout the Gospels. Jesus pulls away and just spends time with God. Goes off in the morning to be with the Lord. Goes out on a boat alone to be with the Lord. He has his time of solitude to be with God. Um, And I love that within his group of three and 12, they didn't just like have this tight bond and community that stayed within them. They were always about the Father's work, weren't they? They had a great purpose. Jesus would bring them together, talk to them, teach them, send them out. Bring them back in together. (laughs) Hash out what happened. Teach them a little bit more. Send them out. That's what that intentional relationship looked like. And I think we can really adopt that, this idea of having our, our group of Christ followers, having our core, being one-on-one with God, and always being about the Father's work. Um, in your bulletin, you can see I included several verses that I'm just going to hit on briefly that really outline for us what relationships need to look like um, according to the Word of God. And these are really helpful. So first is Hebrews 3. I'm going to focus on verse 13. It says, But encourage one another daily. Encourage one another daily. Our relationships need to be about encouragement, not dragging each other down, but encouraging one another. Um, And then I want to read Acts 2, verse 46. This is not in your bulletin. If you want to write it in there, you totally can. This is talking about the church of Acts, right? This is when Christianity is getting off the ground, even though that's not what it was called then, but this is the first church. Acts 2, verse 46, and it says this. 
Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Three things jumped out to me. The first one is every day. There's a consistency that we see here. Okay, we're, we're not the Church of Acts. We're in the Silicon Valley. Life's a little different. So I don't necessarily think it's telling us we have to meet every day. But I think it's telling us there's, there's importance in being consistent, right? There's, there's a real deep importance about that. We need to have a consistency in meeting together. Um, and then I love that they broke bread in their homes. Any other eaters in the room? Eaters in the room. Can I get an amen? Yeah. I mean, I was, this is kind of embarrassing, but I was at a retreat with some leaders in the line of work that I do in Napa last week, and um, this one gal just kept staring at me at every meal. Um, like, and she would say, well, you really like food. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. And then the next, so she's like, no, you like really like food. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I do. I love food, and I love that there's something about meeting together over food. There's something about sharing a meal, isn't there? There's something about it that's, that's kind of intimate and sweet. It's a great time to experience Christ together. And the church in Acts did that. Um, they shared meals together in their homes. And then I love the third thing that jumps out to me, and that's that they praised God. That their times together were about praising and worshiping God. Very focused. Um, this makes me think of my missional community. And I know I already referenced it once, but friends, I really love my missional community. It's a group of women. There's between, oh, maybe 15 and 20 of us that meet every other week. Um, and we're, we're different ages and different lives and all that stuff. But the one thing we have in common is we're all moms. So it kind of unites us on that crazy front. Um, but when we meet, there's always awesome food, which I really appreciate. We have sweet times of worship together. Sweet times of worship. Just the sound of women's gorgeous voices praising God. There's prayer. We get in the word together. We do life real. There are tears and there's gobs of laughter. And the room's really loud. It's awesome. Um, but when I leave, I feel like I've experienced God. I know that there's women there that care for me and that will be there for me, no matter what I need. And I leave with women on my heart that then I pray for all week long, doing life together in an intentional way. Um, the next verse, Romans 12, the verses 9 through 18 are all awesome, and I encourage you to look at them. But some of the things that stick out to me, verse 9 says, love must be sincere. There's got to be a sincerity. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. In verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Devotion. That means that we don't bounce when things get hard. When things get yucky, we've got to stay in the game and be devoted. Honor one another above yourselves. Friends, that's selflessness. To honor someone else. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Verse 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Friends, we even saw Jesus doing this in his ministry, didn't we? Even Jesus would cry with people who hurt. There is something so significant for us to let ourselves go to that vulnerable and hard place where we sit with people who are mourning, whether people that already love Jesus or people outside of the faith, people that just love Jesus. I, earlier this year, um, one morning it was pouring down rain and I had taken my kids into their class and as I was walking back another mom was standing there and I just could kind of sense that she was hurting and I just said, so what's going on? How are you? And I, and I heard her story and her sister was dying of cancer and she was on her last breath and I don't know this woman well and at that time I didn't even know her name but I just asked if I could pray with her, you know? She said, can I pray with you? And as I prayed for her, I just started crying with her like big tears on both of our cheeks and, you know, I, I don't know her whole story. I don't know what God's doing in her life but in that one little minute I felt like the Holy Spirit put me in a place to cry with her. You know, 
Because there's something really profound and humanly wonderful about experiencing someone else's pain and rejoicing with those who rejoice, not being intimidated by other people's joy, right? Not being jealous of it, stepping into it and rejoicing with them. Um, In Galatians 5, verse 13, it talks about serving one another humbly in love, serving one another. That intentional relationships are about service. And then in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, there's a whole lot of good going on in there, but I want to point out verse 3. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And then verse 5, friends, I feel like this is speaking directly to us. In your relationships with one another, (laughs) have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he was God. But he did not consider equality with God something to be taken to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Absolutely nothing. By taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And in obedience, he went to the cross. That's the mindset we should have in our relationships. Just like Christ being a servant. It sounds beautiful. How do we do it? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, I don't have um, a three-step plan for you. I don't have, like, a perfect game plan, and I can say, like, do this, and this will happen. Um, I'm so, so sorry I can't. But here's the truth. We're all really different people. We're really different. And so it's going to look different for each of us. God created us so unique. Um, So I don't have a roadmap for us, but here's what I do know. I believe the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be our biggest asset on this one. we got to be in touch with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Jesus sent a helper to abide with us and to lead us. And when it comes to relationships, he is our source. He is central. We need to spend time in prayer and doing the hard work of listening to perceive the Spirit of God, to be aware of his movements in our hearts and in our lives. Um, A couple tangible questions I do think we can ask. I kind of have two categories. The first is um, for us to evaluate, who do I need in my life? Like, who do I need personally? And then the second one is, who needs me? Like, who's pouring into me, and who am I pouring out to love? Um, So let's first look at these intentional relationships that are closest to us. Um, Assessing kind of our current relationships, the people that are um, so close that they see our ugly and they still still love us. You know what I'm saying? These are our marriages, our closest friends, our family. Um, I think that sometimes we need to have check-in times with these people. This is kind of scary and a little vulnerable, but I think it's really, really powerful. We need to have times when we ask hard questions And then we just shut our mouths and listen to the responses. Maybe questions like, how are we doing? How how is this? How how are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? Maybe, what do you need from me? How can I love you better? How can I bless you? Is there anything I'm doing that's hurting you? Friends, these are hard questions, but... I think we need to ask them because these relationships are so significant that we don't want to live on a shallow playing field when God desires depth for us. You know what I'm saying? We want to experience the fullness of God, what God has for us. Um, 
I think some of us even know the answers to these questions. We just need that courage to act on it. You know what I mean? We need that strength. Where does that strength come from? From God. We don't do it on our own. In our weakness, he is strong. Sometimes we know what we need to do. We just need to ask God for his power to help us in our relationships. Um, Okay, let's look next on the relationships with others that aren't quite as close. Maybe like our missional communities, um, our our groups, either at work or at school where we're in other faith communities. And I want us to kind of think of them and assess them through the lens of the verses that we just went through, okay? So think of this group. Um, When you think of this group in your times together, do you think of encouragement? Do you think of building each other up? Do you think of serving and honoring? Um, Do you think of iron sharpening iron, this idea of just really making each other awesome? Do you think about being on top of the Father's work, working together with purpose? Sometimes this happens and it's so awesome. And sometimes um, those times together maybe are more like gripe sessions. (laughs) Or maybe it's just like sweet, sweet community together, but it's very focused inward at what we have and it's not focusing outward on how we serve. I think we need to really take those verses to heart. Um, And then let's think of maybe the relationships in our lives that are non-existent at this point. As I'm speaking, I know that there are people in this room that are listening and thinking to themselves, that's great. Thanks for this relationship advice. If I had some friends and some deep relationships, I'd love to apply that, but I don't. I'm really lonely. I'm doing life alone right now. Um, And some of us are. And for some of us, it's a season, and it's going to pass. And for some of us, it's kind of felt like it's been forever. And if that's you right now, I just want to let you know you are deeply loved by a father who is very relational. Very relational. And I don't believe that God desires for us to live in solidarity like that. I don't feel like he wants us to be alone. He wants us to be in community. So if that's you... If your heart is lonely, if you are alone, I want to ask you to pray. Tell the Lord you're lonely. Give it to God. He cares, friends. He cares about you, and he knows that you don't need to do life alone. Pray. Ask the Lord to lead you. Maybe that looks like um, reaching out to someone you already know of in your life, and you just need to make that step. Maybe that looks like signing up for a missional community. I know that could be really scary, Maybe you don't know anyone else that's doing it. You're like, I have to walk into a, like a foreign place of foreign people. This is like so scary. Um, but maybe that's what God wants to do. I don't know how God wants to work in you. But please don't live life lonely. All right. So we've kind of looked at how we take care of the relationships of the people that, that we need. Um, and sometimes, friends, I don't think we need to be scared to go to counseling, to get outside help, to read books, to get outside resources to help these in, inner relationships be strong. I think it's really worth it. It's worth the time and the energy. So now let's shift to look at the people who need us, the people that we're pouring into, that we're loving on. Um, And here's the question that I want you to ask yourself. Where in my life am I building intentional relationships to love and bless and serve and bring hope? Where am I doing this? Friends, we have a really relational God, as I've said 3,000 times, but here's what I think about God. He doesn't waste anything. He, he's very resourceful. He doesn't waste anything. Nothing in our lives is going to be a waste. Um, and so because of that, I think that he surrounds us with people that need us. So I want us to think through our lives. Think about the other students in your class. Think about the other people on your team at work, in your firm, in the cubicle next to you, or the office down the hall. 
I want you to think about the other kids in your kids' classrooms, or the teachers, the families that you interact with, the people in your exercise classes at your gym, the person on the treadmill next to you, maybe that neighbor that lives across the street. You see him pull out of the driveway at the same time every day. God doesn't waste any of this, you guys. Maybe it's the person at the grocery store that you're standing next to. Not accidents. Sometimes I even look at my Facebook feed, and I'm like, God, are you trying to tell me something right now? Right? Because you can tell by somebody's post on Facebook or their picture on Instagram or their tweet, the state of their heart, the pain in their lives. I think God can use this as like a little flag to be like, woohoo, right here. Love on this person. They're needing this. So here's what I think we need to do, friends. We got to pray. We got to ask the Lord to show it to us. I'm not saying that like every single person we see every day, we have to be like, I need to pray for you. Like that'd be a little bit overwhelming. Um, But we have a God that doesn't waste anything and he does things on purpose, but we need to be in touch with the Holy Spirit to see it. When my life is busy, when I'm stressed out and exhausted and crazy, I do not see people for who they are. Anyone else? I see people as objects, obstacles, traffic and crowds and noise and get out of my way, I got to get to what I'm trying to do. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't think that's how the Holy Spirit wants us to see people. That's not how God is going to use us effectively. So sometimes I think we need to be very intentional about not living those crazy, hurried lives where people become objects. We need to pay attention. We need to ask the Lord and the Holy Spirit, put people in our lives for us to love. God, will you put people in my life for me to love? And then we need to pay attention. We need to listen to the promptings of the Spirit. When you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep, who is that person on your mind? When you keep running into that same person, do you guys ever have that happen? You keep running into the same person? That is so weird. Maybe it's for a purpose. Someone pops in your head that you haven't thought of in years. I'd recommend praying for them. That's how the Holy Spirit works. I have the silliest story, and and this might make me look really strange, but I like you guys enough to... To, to handle it. But um, one time, Steve and I were in Vegas. He had this work convention, and we're at the airport. We're getting ready to leave town. And I'm in the bathroom, and this gal on the stall next to me is like, like sobbing, like that like ugly sobbing, crying, and I can hear her conversation on the phone, and all I can see is her shoes, and my heart gets really sad for her, whatever, leave, and we're getting ready to, to board our plane. But y'all, the Holy Spirit was just prompting in my heart, Christina, you need to go find that person and pray for her. And I kind of kept shutting it down like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know her. That's so weird, right? God, that's weird. I don't want to be weird. Um, and as Steve and I are getting ready to board the plane, I'm like, Hun, I have to go. I have to go find this person. And my husband's really gracious, and I'm strange. And he just kind of was like, all right, whatever. Um, so I'm looking through the terminal for her shoes because I have no clue what her face looks like. And I found her. Um, she was sitting, pulling some slots. And um, it was so weird, but I just said, hey, I heard you crying in the bathroom. Can I, I just wonder if I could pray for you. And she said, yeah, of course. And I prayed for her, and she probably thought I was crazy. I don't know, and I caught my flight, and I went on, and it's been years, and every once in a while she pops in my head, and I just pray for her again. I don't know. I don't know what God does, you guys. I don't know how he's going to work all this stuff out. All I know is that when the Holy Spirit moves, we just have to respond. Do you know what I'm saying? We just have to respond. So the worship band is going to come up. They're going to play a song for us. And I want us to do a little work with God right now. Maybe grab a pen and your bulletin if you want to, or your phone, your note section, whatever. But can you guys just be thinking, God, who is it in my life already that I need to be more relational with, that I need to be intentional in building this relationship, that I need to re-engage in the places that I've been disengaging? We need to ask the Lord. And then here's my final prayer for us. 
Lord God, will you make us aware of the people that are camouflaged right in front of our faces? Will you give us eyes to see the pain and the hurt that's just right in front of us?